Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I'll give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. With with every year that, that passes, as a Christian... I sort of every year hope that, that resisting sin's going to get a little bit easier for me. Now, I don't know about you, but that actually hasn't been my experience. Um, as I've gotten older, I've become increasingly aware of my own sin and the temptations that, are play, that plague me in my life. Now, maybe the reason might be that the longer you're a Christian, the closer you might come to God and... And, and the closer you get to God, the more aware you are of your own unholiness. Maybe. I don't know. But in times of temptation, some will be really quick to say, oh, it wasn't my fault. The devil tempted me. We call that the devil made me do it defense. Um, and sometimes that is the case. Uh, but in my experience, more often than not, the devil didn't need to do anything. There's been enough evil in me to cause me to sin. And what this is, it's, it's the old man. So when we become a Christian, we put the old man to death and we raise up the new, but the problem is the old man has a habit of coming back again. Um, and it's, it's the old man fighting against the Spirit of God. Now, having said that, sometimes the devil is the one who is responsible for the temptations. So Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we're not in a battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and dark of darkness and spiritual forces of evil. And in my experience, the devil's most concerted attacks will often take place either just before or just after an amazing move of the Spirit of God. Right? So God does something amazing and, and, we just, and we've really grown in God, but then the attacks come. Now, it's so common, so much so that when I'm preparing a person for baptism, I always give them the warning to be ready because it's really common that just after somebody gets baptised that that they'll be attacked by the devil in all sorts of ways that they've never experienced before. And this is the evil one trying to destroy their newfound faith in God. But even so, 
There's nothing for us to be scared about because these are times of testing. And in the strength of our almighty God, we have victory in times of testing. Now, I, I suspect that the two greatest tricks that the devil's been able to pull off are actually opposites to each other. The first trick is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist. And there are many people in churches today who, who might believe in a concept of evil, but they don't believe that there is a devil. They don't believe that there is a spiritual being of evil. But the scriptures are very clear. Uh, if you want to believe your Bible, you have to believe there is a personal being of evil. He's known as the evil one, the devil, Satan, Diabolus, Beelzebul, whatever you want to call him. The scriptures are very clear that there is a personal being of evil. The devil is just as real as God is. And the devil's second trick is the opposite of that. It's to get people to be so fixated on him it's almost as if they're not content to just be in Christ. And it seems that sometimes we just get our jollies out of, I need to be somebody who's in battle with the devil all the time. So we need to be aware and beware. Yes, the devil is real, but the Lord is the one who does the battle and the victory is his. Right, so... Luke chapter 4. Jesus has just been baptised. And the Holy Spirit came in bodily form upon him. And then we're told that full of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness. Right? We're getting told over and over and over again that the Spirit is at play here. And there out in the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days and... He was tempted by the devil. Now remember what I said just before? When you have a significant experience of God, that's often when the devil will attack. And sometimes we might get it in, in, into our heads that, oh, it's only when somebody's distant from God, that's when they're going to get the attacks from the devil. No. Don't you believe that for a minute? Jesus had just been baptised. Jesus has just been filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just been announced to Jesus. The voice of God has come from heaven that he's the son of God. And he's following the Holy Spirit. And he's been fasting, which is a spiritual discipline. And he's being tempted by the devil. So, temptation. Temptation. The first thing we need to know about temptation is the things that I'm tempted by will probably be not the things that you're tempted by. Temptations are a bit customised from person to person. Um, and, and obviously, the things that tempt the Son of God are probably not the things that's going to tempt Michael Brumpton. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've racked my brain. I can't think of the last time that I was tempted to turn stones into bread. It's like, I'm just trying to think. I can just imagine this. Michael's hungry because Robin hasn't cooked him a nice chocolate cake or something for smoke. I was like, what, what am I going? I know. There's some stones there. I'm going to just turn those into bread. Oh, no, I mustn't. Oh, I really, really want to. Now, have you ever been tempted like that? No, 
No, me either, me either. Nor have I been tempted to, to jump from a really tall building just so that I can just check that the angels do catch me before I hit the concrete below. Anybody been tempted to do that? If so, we might organise an intervention for you. But so obviously the, the temptations for Jesus were specific temptations for him. But I want us to note in what form did the temptations come? Words. I don't know if they were audible or if they were sensed. But Jesus was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days and the devil said, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And then the second temptation, somehow he took Jesus up high enough to see all the kingdoms of the world and the devil said, to you, I'll give all of this authority and all their glory. It's all, it's all been given to me and I can give it to whoever I want. If you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. And then he took him up to the top of the temple and the devil said, and this time the devil even quoted scripture. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, and here comes the scripture, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your feet against a stone. All right, so what's going on here? Jesus is being led by the Holy Spirit but he's also hearing words of the devil. Let us never assume that if I am being led by the Spirit, that everything I hear comes from God. Right? Because there are many Christians who go, well, if I sense something or if I feel something, because I'm a Christian, it's got to be from God. Well, if it wasn't true for Jesus, why would it be true for us? And so we need to test these things how did Jesus tell the two apart how did Jesus know when it was the spirit leading him as opposed to when it was Satan who was trying to lead him well there's two things that, that were obvious to me firstly the words of the devil are often appealing to the flesh Right, so the first temptation was look after yourself, you know, have a feed, you're hungry, just, just do it. The second temptation was if it was played out, it was about avoiding the pain and the suffering of the cross. You see, Jesus was destined to become king and ruler of this world and the devil was saying, you can do that. And here's a way that doesn't involve the cross. Just bow down and worship me. The third temptation was he was just wanting assurance. If you are the son of God, then you'll know it because the angels will catch you. Right? So, so the words of the devil can be appealing to the flesh. The second way to test if, if a word is from God is when the devil speaks... It may on the surface agree with some of Scripture, but it will not agree with all of Scripture. Um, and sometimes it'll be a twisting of Scripture. Sometimes it'll be plucking just a little verse or part of a verse out and, and, and saying, there you go, just believe this and you can do this. But if it disagrees with any of Scripture, well, it's not from God. Are you with me? 
We tend to think that, that sin is doing stuff that hurts other people. And provided I'm not doing stuff that hurts other people, then I'm not sinning. And yet the temptations that are thrown at Jesus, sorry, the temptations that are thrown at Jesus, on the outside, some of them actually appeared really good. But every one of them was of disobedience to God. And that is a lesson for us. When we are trying to discern God's plan or God's will for our lives, often we actually begin asking that question because we have an inner discontentment with where God currently has us. And we assume that God's going to take me out of this and God's going to give me a way forwards. And at times like that, I've learned that I need to be really careful and, and watch out because the devil might offer me exactly what I want. And he might even come up with a Bible verse or two that helps me to justify it. And so I've learned that in those times, I have to beware. Is it the voice of God? Or is it just my own desire? Or could it even be the devil who's tempting me? So I've learned a long time ago that if I personally have a feeling of direction that really appeals to me, check very carefully. Um, I've learned to be extra careful. Is it from God? Or is it just what I want to do? Or is it the devil? And if the devil was speaking to Jesus, as Christians, we need to be aware that sometimes he speaks to try and mislead us. The safer way is to empty ourselves of our own plans, empty ourselves of our own ambitions. And instead of asking God, God, what's your will for me, for my life? Just ask God, what's your will? What's your will? And as we read God's word, we will be led deeper and deeper into God's will. And we'll learn how to adjust our lives to line up with what God's will is. So we let God's word challenge us um, and he challenges all of our preconceived ideas and we're drawn into his greater service. Right, so back to the Bible reading. Every single time that the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus replied by quoting scripture. And pretty much every time that, that I've heard the temptations of Jesus preached on, um, that's been pretty much the full message. And, and with good reason. When the devil tempts, whether it be an audible voice or whether it be a feeling or whatever, the way to repel his attack is to first of all recognize that it's not God who's speaking. And so we test the voice with God's standard word sorry, with the gold standard word of God, the scriptures. And at this point, um, the examples we preachers usually give are very obvious. And so if a person feels that they should leave their wife and, and shack up with another woman, it's obvious, isn't it? That is not God leading someone to do that. That's the devil. What does the scriptures say? Do not commit adultery, right? It, it's a no brainer. And I bet you all, oh, 
golly, I'm glad you told us that, Pastor. It's, it's, we, we now understand that that wouldn't be from God. You already knew that, didn't you? But we come up with more no-brainers. It, it, it's, if no one's watching, is it all right for me to take that thing out of the shop without paying for it? No, that's not the voice of God telling you to do that because God would never tell us to steal because God's word says thou shalt not steal. It's another no-brainer, isn't it? Right, so that's the typical lesson, though. If you're being tempted, recognise that it's a temptation from the devil by confirming with God's word and be obedient to God. Simple. Job's done. You'll get that, don't you? Yeah. I want to take us a bit deeper today. I think we need to go deeper than no-brainer examples. Every one of the scripture references that Jesus quoted came from chapters 6 and 8 of Deuteronomy. Now, for Jesus, he was in a period of testing. And the scriptures that Jesus quotes are all about Israel in their period of testing. In Deuteronomy, Israel are just about to enter the promised land. The promises of God are on the cusp of being fulfilled. And Moses gives the people of Israel a jolly good talking to, and he needs to do it right now because Moses doesn't get to enter the promised land. There was an incident that happened while they were out in the wilderness, and God said, right, because of that, you don't get to go into the promised land. So he's going to die before he goes in. So there's lots of stuff that he needs to tell them before they cross the river. And this section of, of Deuteronomy is a reminder of the commandments of God that they'd received while they're in the wilderness. And it's a reflection, a remembering of the things that they had done while they were in the desert. Right? So Israel were tested on their way to the land of promise. And they made a real hash of things numerous times. Jesus is being tested as he brings into being the new promise. The kingdom promised to Israel was just over the Jordan River. But as they'd crossed through the desert, they were tested for 40 years in the desert. Now, the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. Jesus has just been baptised in that same river, the Jordan River. And he's now headed out into the desert to be tested for 40 days. Right? You see the things coming through here. 40 years, 40 days. Testing in the desert, testing in the desert. But unlike Israel, Jesus passes every test with flying colours. And as we look at the quotes that Jesus gives from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 8, we can see what the test is so really about. So the first temptation was to turn stones into bread. And Jesus replied, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. But what's he talking about? We know that. We know that man can't live by bread alone. We need T-bone steak, men, don't we? Yeah. Otherwise, we'd be vegans and not men at all. And Jesus said, it's not written... It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. But what's it about? 
So let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 7, and see what it's about. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, right? Not just a little bit of it, all of it. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that Yahweh your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you'll keep his commands or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart, as a man disciplines his son, Yahweh your God disciplines you so that you shall keep the commandments of Yahweh your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For Yahweh your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills. What's going on here? Israel are out in the desert and they're hungry. It was a time of testing. But what was being tested? The test is what is really in the heart. Did they have a heart of obedience to God? Or was it a heart that was more concerned with self? You see, for us, when we go through times of testing, when we have times in the wilderness, when we have times of need, times of despair, know this, the Lord disciplines his children. We get a New Testament image of this. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that the Lord disciplines those that he loves. That is what a time of testing is. Through those tough times, we often want to cry out, why me? Don't you love me, God? No, it's because God does love us that he allows us to have times of testing. So as parents, when we're raising our children, we can mollycoddle them, but then they, they never learn to cope with adversity. Or we can allow our children to be tested and we can discipline them through those times of testing and they grow and they strengthen into maturity. And that's what God does with us. Romans chapter 5 tells us more about it. It says, we rejoice in our suffering. What? Why would we rejoice in suffering? We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. See, when Jesus was baptised, he heard the audible voice of God coming from heaven, 
God spoke and said, this is my son. But now the words of the devil are questioning this. If you are the son of God. Jesus had then been led by the Holy Spirit out into the desert to fast. And the temptation now was to undo that fast. The temptation was to use his power to satisfy the weaknesses of his flesh rather than, than the humility that comes through testing. And the test for Jesus is, would Jesus yield to the flesh? Or would he submit himself to the Father? And would he submit himself to be humbled before God for his service? Well, thankfully, our Lord chose the word of God over bread. The second test. The devil took Jesus up to show him all of the kingdoms of the world. And then he told him a half-truth. He said, all this has been given to me and I can give it to whoever I want. All you have to do is worship me and it's yours. Now that's a half-truth. For the moment, this world is the devil's domain. But the Lord is supreme. The Lord is over everything. The Lord is in control of everything. And Satan's days are limited, and he's going to be thrown into the pit of fire of hell. And he won't be doing much ruling or reigning over the world at that point. So it was only a half-truth, a partial truth. Jesus' response, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Basically, verses 1 to 11 are saying, when you come into the promised land, don't turn your back on God. Right? God, he is the one where your salvation has come from. Do not forget that. Remember how he brought you out of Egypt. And then from verse 12 he says, then take care lest you forget Yahweh, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is Yahweh your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For Yahweh your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of Yahweh your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Now here's the warning. You shall not put Yahweh your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of Yahweh your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of Yahweh, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that Yahweh swore to give your fathers. What happened at Massah? Israel tested God at Massah. What happened there? Well, ultimately, the people of Israel questioned God's faithfulness 
They didn't trust that God would fulfill his promise to them. And they wanted to take things into their own hands and do things in another way. They were thirsty and they grumbled. I might grumble when I get thirsty too. But this is what they grumbled. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? How did they test God? They're saying, is Yahweh even among us? Is God even here? Or has he deserted us? That's what the test was. And the test of Jesus is would he take the easy way out? Did Jesus trust that his father was with him? Did Jesus trust that that God had everything in control and that God's will would be done? Yes, he did. And when things get tough for you, and when things get tough for me, what do we do? Do we doubt? Has God deserted me? Is God even here? Is the Lord among us or not? That's testing God. Because by faith, we know that God has not left us. God is with us through all these times. And Jesus showed us the path of trust in our Heavenly Father. The third test. If you are the Son of God, jump off this tall building and the angels will catch you. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not Put the Lord your God to the test. We sort of pretty much just covered that because it comes from that same passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's about trying to do things in our own hands and, and not trusting that God is in control and not trusting that God has got this. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. That's about that water incident at Masala and saying, is God even with me? So the test for Jesus is like the test for the people of Israel. In the time of testing, the people of Israel doubted that God was even there. But Jesus firmly held to God's word. And even though he was in a very tough place of testing in the wilderness, he knew that his heavenly father was with him and that the way that he should proceed was not the way that the devil was trying to take him. The way that he should proceed would be to follow God's will, for God's will to be done. And then it finishes with verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. That's sort of an ominous note, isn't it? Um, It's sort of like writing something and then you go, you know there's more to follow here. It's like a to be continued. Uh, The devil's a little bit like nutgrass. Just when you think you got rid of it, um, it comes back again. And I'm using that example because that happened to me this week. I haven't had nutgrass in my lawn, I don't think, since I've been at the address that we're at now. But I fertilised the lawn and everything just before this rain and after the rain, a patch of nutgrass came up. And I didn't think it was there. But there it is, just just appeared again. And so I had to get the semper out and get into it. And that's the way the devil is. 
The devil departs until an opportune time. You think he's gone. You think it's dealt with, done and dusted. But then he comes back again. What could that opportune time be? You know, we've been talking about having a time of testing. We've been talking about going through the wilderness in the tough times. And we're usually quite aware that we're vulnerable in these tough times. Yes? But in the context of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 8, Israel are just about to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. They are just about to enter into this period of blessing. And the warning that they are given in Deuteronomy is this has been your experience. You know all about this. Now, when you come into this period of blessing, when you come into this, when things are going really good, do not forget God. When you've got nice houses, when you've got good crops, when you've got a full pantry, when you are being blessed, don't forget about God. Trust him, obey him, keep his commandments. That's what this whole passage in Deuteronomy is about. And for them, the opportune time for their temptation is as they come into these good times. Now, for us, Jesus has fulfilled the blessing. We've received the promise. We are forgiven. We are reconciled through the blood of Jesus. We've received the promise. We are blessed. Can we have agreement there? We are blessed. Good. And so when things are going good, don't let all the blessings divert us from the things of God. Don't let all the blessings divert us from God and his righteousness. This is a curse that we have of living in a prosperous land. Many folk do not depend on God anymore. They don't need to because we are such a prosperous land. And well, why would I need God? And maybe for us, that could be the opportune time for the devil. When we start feeling, I don't need God. I don't need to rely on him for this because I've got money in the bank to pay for that. Or it might get to the point where, you know what? I've, I've, got, I've been blessed with so much things and so many opportunities. I can go places and do things. I actually don't have time to be serving God anymore because I've got all of this other stuff that I can be doing. And God wouldn't have given it to me if he didn't want me to, to concentrate on these things, surely. And we forget about God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus was faithful and humbled himself to follow your path to the cross. He never doubted. Indeed, you were with him. And we thank you that you are with us as we go through the desert, as we go through the wilderness, as we go through the time of testing, you are with us. Help us to always know this and recognize this. Help us to fix our eyes on you and to trust you through all things, always. And Lord, in the times when we hear words, whether they be words of direction or words of guidance, give us a discerning heart 
and help us to test those words. Lord, may we never have such a spiritual pride that we would assume that every word I hear has come from you. Give us the wisdom and discernment to test everything according to your word and help us to go deeper, not to just discern the no-brainers, but help us to know you, to know you so well and to know your word so well that we would never be misled. And Lord, we pray that when we enter a period of blessing, that our faith and dependence on you would not grow cold. May you remain our King and our Lord in all things, at all times. Amen.